Well, hello, kids, and welcome to season two and episode number 15 of Beaver Bites, our much less scripted and hopefully shorter version of our regular podcast. That's the goal, anyway. Still the same incisive commentary on Canadian politics and general culture, but a tinier nibble of it. Today, recording day is Monday, April 11th, 2022, and it has definitely been a lovely spring day. A bit cloudy and gray, but with some nice sun in the afternoon here at the Beaver Lodge, for which I am grateful as I hit the tennis court for the first time this year today. I'm your host, the eager beaver, pronouns he, him, hey, Mr. Beaver A, and I am just elated that so many of you keep responding positively to the return of the Bites format, and we're glad you're here to share in the joy. Of course, a big thank you goes to our podcast's founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, The Misfee Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing, and CanadianTarot.com for their continued support. Today on Beaver Bites, it's all about the dollar dollar bills, y'all. Today, we talk budget. And since we wanted to get the numbers and details right, we may be slightly more scripted today, but we are still keeping the fun. So let's do this, shall we? And with me here today is the person I am most grateful to share this news with and to be collaborating. Mr. Grizzly, how are you doing today? I'm uh, much better today than I was on the weekend. How about Ooh. you? Uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm, my biological clock is completely off because I laid down yesterday to take a nap around 5.30 in the afternoon and I actually slept my whole night. So I've been up since midnight. For a second, I thought you were going to say you were menopausal or something. <laughs> and it's about 9.23 right now. So what I've been up for 21 hours, it's way past my bedtime. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll throw you for a loop for sure. Yeah. No. I uh, uh, had a, um, a great Friday night, saw an old friend I hadn't seen in a while, went out uh, with a couple other friends. We had some nice dinner, uh, a couple of drinks, did a bit of a tour around in the market. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. Saturday, uh, I woke up at noon. Ooh. I haven't slept that late in probably 20 plus years. So okay. I figure exhaustion had set in. Uh, we were, I was only out till about, I, I went, I left before everybody else did. So it might've been 1231. I don't even know if it was that late. I'm not even sure to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I, I was completely wiped out and basically my Saturday was a total write off because when, when you sleep that late. Yeah. And normally I get up every day at five. So I slept till noon. I woke up and I'm like, well, ah, couch looks like it'll be a comfortable place to spend the rest of the day because I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> and I didn't. Um, did you do it well? I did it very well, yeah. yeah. Very watched, hard. watched some Netflix. I read for a bit. I listened to some music. I did put together a new jazz playlist. I just haven't had the time to record it yet, so I'll have a new jazz show soon. But um, yeah, it was uh, a day spent doing nothing, and I enjoyed it. Ah, wonderful. Doing nothing very well is tough to do. It is. It's very yeah. tough to do, especially when you're somebody like me. I used to be a total workaholic, and I'm not anymore because that does nothing for you. It makes exactly. money for somebody else and basically destroys your life. So, yeah, I've. I, it took me years to learn how to relax, and I'm pretty good at it now. I'm, I got, mm. I'm not going to lie. I've gotten pretty good at relaxing. <laughs> um, yeah, Mr. Grizzly, since you mentioned it, uh, your jazz show is pretty good. Why don't you tell your uh, tell the kids where they can find it if they're interested in it? Uh, 
Oh, sure. Yeah, if, if uh, anybody likes uh, jazz, I, I do have a, a jazz show I've been doing for uh, a little over two years now, I guess it is. Eh? About that? A little over two I years? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I started it uh, during the pandemic. Um, anyway, I'll just, let me just find the link here. I'm, I'm sort of discombobulated at the moment because I, I was okay. un- no, I, uh, unexpected. When, uh, I always uh, put on uh, Mr. Grizzly's jazz show and uh, I write to it. So that's, uh, yeah, it, it, it creates a nice uh, atmosphere at home. And, uh, you know, sometimes I have to go back to listen to your commentary because it's good. Because sometimes when I'm writing, I get lost in my thoughts and I'm not paying attention yeah, to what you're saying, just the music. So I go back and listen to that. But uh, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great combination and a good selection of music and lots of interesting tidbits of information. Yeah, because I've always loved jazz, but there's a lot of content in your show that I never knew. So I, it's, it's I, yeah. It's and I learn about it all the time too. And I'm not I would not profess to be an aficionado or an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do have an interest in it. So, you know, I, I put the jazz show together. But anyway, if you're looking for it, you can go to mixcloud.com backslash Paul hyphen Atkinson sixteen backslash or is that forward slash? Those are forward slashes, I guess. It's the it's the slash underneath the question mark. I always mix them up. And, and uh, there's uh, 166 shows, uh, about two, 300 hours worth of content, um, 59 hours of jazz specifically, and then I have a uh, pop rock show, that, and those are four, five-hour shows. So if you like music, I've got lots for you to listen to. Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, so, Mr. Grizzly, we're going to talk about money. You ready? I guess I'm ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) All right. That sounds enthusiastic. Well, let's do this. Okie (laughs) dokie. On Thursday, April 7th, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, and one day Prime Minister of Canada, I'm pretty sure, at least I hope, Christian Freeland, tabled the first budget in five years that was neither a pandemic nor, thanks to the supply and confidence agreement entered into with the new Democratic Party, a pre-election budget. This is her second one because, of course, we had Bill Morneau as finance minister for a while. One of the benefits of the agreement, we were told, was the potential to plan for multi-year projects. And given the announcements, it appears that the answer to the question, yeah, but will that agreement last the full four years? Is, well, if not four or three, (laughs) this budget seems to to make it clear that they're definitely aiming for three. And then we'll see, right? Three and then we'll see, which was the case in British Columbia with uh, Premier John Horgan when he cut bait with the Green Party as a new leader came in. And then he secured his current majority after that. Uh, It's a tricky time for a finance minister, though. Because, you know, we are past the oh crap phase of the pandemic, (laughs) but uh, only 58.3% of the planet is double vaccinated. So at any time, there could be another flare up requiring a rapid federal infusion of cash. There are still backlogs in supply chain issues. For example, in the medical field, uh, the federal government recently announced, I think it was $2 billion that could be distributed to the provinces to help clear off the medical backlogs because there are over 700,000 procedures uh, and surgeries. Yeah, that are backlogged. And some provinces are, of course, typically, you know, complaining about federal intrusion in, you know, the 
competencies of the provinces. But uh, with the backlog, uh, I don't know any province that's not going to dip into that pool of two billion. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. Like, you know, people need cancer treatments, need hip surgeries. You know, are you going to take the money or not? <laughs> just take the money. It's $2 billion in free money. And all you have to do is spend take it on it. backlogs. It's take hardly it. an interference. You're going to have to do it anyway. Just take the money. Well, <laughs> as long as they can earmark that money to make sure that it is only spent on health care, because, you know, old Dougie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's why the federal government is doing this more and more. Well, as the, you know, all the provinces come back and say, you know, we want $28 billion in the transfers for health. And then the federal government comes back and says, I'll give you $2 billion for the surgical backlog and you know $4 billion for this and two. And when the government does that, then they do have to be accountable, but for the transfers, they don't, mm-hmm. right? So I'm thinking that's uh, over, the, over time, the federal government is shifting its portion of funding to healthcare that it was just straight transfer with no accountability to pockets of money for specific things for which there is. Which makes sense. Which I am personally fine with. Mm-hmm. So am I. Uh, I want to know what the provinces do with the transfers because it's all our money. <laughs> well, and, and, and uh, well, you know, where's the five billion, Dougie? Oh well, we know where that went. Yeah, license plate renewals, one billion to the four hundred seven people to write off their loan, and then uh, lower toll fees, and then gas tax rebates, and you name it, man. He's <laughs> meanwhile. If you're a child in in a non-private school, good luck. You're on your own. And if you're a child with autism, yeah, we're just we're gonna let you let you back. We're just letting you go. We're not doing anything. But yeah, we're 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 seeing. I'm pretty sure that if you add all those dollars up, they'll probably come very close to six billion or Mm -hmm. four billion, or you know, however however much he's lost or unaccounted for. Uh, So uh, we have the backlogs. We have the supply chain issues. But now they're not only due to COVID because as if four years of thankfully former President Pumpkinhead, a.k.a. the big liar, a failed yet persistent attempt to cripple our economy and to squeeze a better deal of NAFTA out of us and a global pandemic and all that in six years, as if all of that wasn't enough, now World War III is knocking at our door. <laughs> Tough to budget in these circumstances. Yes, thank just a bit. And then you've got Pierre Poliver doing a Skippy the Wonder Pigeon Act. Credit to you, Sir Grizz, for uh, that one. It was so Feel good, free. I had to steal it and incorporate it. Feel free. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to use it, knock yourselves out. Yes, any of the names that we come up for them, please, they are meant to be shared and distributed far and wide. So Hashtag them on the Twitter. Go nuts. Go nuts. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Uh, so, but uh, you got Polliver hammering nearly 24-7 on inflation, which plays well. Unfortunately, his answer is trade the current 5.7 year-over-year inflation for the risk of a 15 to 30% deflation in your savings in one day. But that's a whole other discussion. Oh, and what else? Oh, yeah, uh, the blonde vulture lady. She of the $19,000 move, $3,800 mattress, and 5200 buttery soft, I'm sure, sheets for her alabaster skin, is just waiting without either shame or irony to feast on your NDP liberal tax and flush it all down the toilet. Oh, my God, Harry, they're setting us straight into the poorhouse. The sky is falling. The sky is falling budget. Like $5,200 sheets. What are they made out of? Panda? Good <laughs> God, man. 5200 They've got to be cashmere. Like like the finest cashmere or, or like 
a silk that was spun I, I, like $5,200? dollars I'm imagining Cruella Deville on a loom, you know, right? Like, just a loom, just making it. It's it's probably four thousand thread count, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anything over oh, five hundred is barely detectable from one to the other. To be honest with you, uh, five hundred thread count sheets will last almost as long as one thousand thread count, and the difference in price is about oh a thousand bucks. Mm. Uh, let's see what else is there. Oh yeah. Uh, last summer, mother nature seemed rather pissed at us. That was expensive. Uh, not sure we did much to make her any less pissed. So yikes. <laughs> so, uh, there you go, Christian. I'm sure you can handle this, right? <laughs> no problem. Oh God. I did not envy her task. And yet she seemed to do it and do it quite well. Now, of course, she is the mom who had her children bring and actually do homework at her swearing-in ceremony. <laughs> True fact, Rosemary Barton was very impressed. So, And she's also the woman who managed to get herself barred from Russia back in 2014, before it was cool, because she got under Putin's skin that much. And judging by how the NATO alliance and then some looked to her to rain sanction pain down on Putin, let's just say we know she can get shit done. Well, and, and don't forget when she was uh, in, in well, I guess it was the Soviet Union at the time, the KGB put her on a watch list because they were worried about her. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. they literally were afraid of her. There's a there's an article about it. It's well documented. Yeah. she Don't kid yeah. yourself. I don't think very much frightens Christian Freeland. <laughs> no, no. And uh, let's not forget that uh, she comes by her uh, economic uh, bona fides, uh, you know, Definitely the hard way she was an editor at the Financial Times, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She knows what she's talking about when it comes to economics. Unlike Um, unlike, uh, Skippy the Wonder Pigeon who dropped out of college. Yep, yep. And is smoking hookahs with uh, crypto bros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's beat inflation by investing in crypto. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just waiting for the ads with the liberals or the new Democrats saying that Pierre Polyev is going to invest all the CPP and GIS in crypto and... That will probably sink him, whether it's true or not, right? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. I really wouldn't. <laughs> well, we saw what we did, what he did when he was the Minister of Democratic Reform when he got his hands on the Election Act, right? Look, the, the worst part is he's a dumb guy who thinks he's smart mm-hmm. because he's had people kissing his ass for so long. Mm-hmm. Who those people are, I don't know. A bunch of yes men because most people on the Hill can't stand the guy. He has not a single redeeming quality, and now he's preaching to the CPC fringe extreme. I don't want to go on a rant. Yeah. But she got it done. The budget dropped, and there is nary a negative story out there. I mean, it literally lasted one day, and that yeah. was it. The rest of it, like they've been able to go out and, you know, traditionally you would drop the budget, and then you would go out and sell it for a week or two. They've been able to do that. Well, and, and of course they had... Uh, <laughs> well, they not had, a week or two so far, but they've been able to do that. They've gone out and selling it because there's no negative story to respond to. Well, Murphy Brown shirt basically came out and shouted it down before she even read the damn thing. So it's... Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> the government is now out selling its budget and neither the usual media naysayers nor the conservatives in particular have managed to come up with anything that sticks. There are the usual, not enough of this or not enough of that from more issue-specific sources, but with the possible exceptions of not having done enough for people living with disabilities, 
no particularly earmarked program for long-term care or assisted living, considering what we just saw mm-hmm. and approval of the Beijing project, uh, which was obviously not going to make environmentalists happy. Very few severe critiques that will sting them for the long-term on this one. And unlike certain recent provincial budget exercises, particularly in provinces with either embattled or soon to be incumbent candidate premiers, incredibly low on vote buying gimmicks, which is probably another benefit of that agreement with the NDP. Alan Freeman of iPolitics comments. With no election on the horizon, Ottawa isn't showering the public with lower gas prices or simple cash bribes as the voter focused provinces are. There are a few baubles, like a first-time home ownership savings account and a tax credit for renovating your basement to house your mother-in-law, but no big consumer measures. And it also gives the Trudeau Liberal government a big boost in the battle of tone versus countertone. And I mention that fairly regularly on the show because that's, you know, that's always what I look to, to see. What is the tone? What is the narrative that someone is setting and how does someone respond? Do they respond in kind? Do they escalate or do they find the proper countertone that neutralizes it? Mm-hmm. Um, well, some premiers are choosing to forego finances during a time of great instability and a de facto world war, thus accumulating a missed opportunity deficit. The federal government has, with the budget, very strategically put itself in a position to wrestle the sound economic management issue away from the conservatives, especially since that party seems hell-bent on a nasty cage match with no fewer than 12 declared candidates in their race. Too many. When you just have two or three, it's not enough. But when you start getting 11 or 12, it's another clown car. Oh, yeah. Right? Five to seven, you got a good race. (laughs) This is too many cooks and nobody wants to sample the soup. (laughs) Right? Everybody wants to lead. No one wants to follow here. More salt, less salt. More salt, less salt. How about some pepper? I like some pepper on my paprikash. (laughs) And all of this was bolstered by the fact that the federal government started in year one of its renewed mandate, proactively talking about fiscal responsibility. Well, that's going to be a marker down the road. The pandemic spending that we incurred to keep Canadians safe and solvent must be paid down. And it is being paid down. This is our fiscal anchor. This is a line we will not cross. It will ensure that our finances remain sustainable. Canada has a proud tradition of fiscal responsibility. It is my duty to maintain it, and I will. Hmm. I, you know what? If you had been listening to the punditry for the last few weeks, it's all about how, you know, we're going to be spending and going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, destroying all our children's future. Mm -hmm. I, taking this turn by mistaking out this territory, like I said, by saying that she'll be able to look back three years when we're getting ready to go in an election and point to that. Uh, no, no, I'm not new to this party. If you look back three budgets, I said this. Yes. Right. Yeah. Very, 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 very smart for the liberals to be taking the lead on framing the fiscal responsibility debate. The conservatives should never have the credibility on this issue. And in the hands of Christian Freeland, Canadians will probably buy this like they bought it from Paul Martin. She's really showing that she's more in that vein with this budget. And uh, just to drive the point home and send the message subliminally, Freeland, who we often see dressed in red, was dressed in conservative (laughs) blue 
with pearl necklace to deliver the message in the house. I don't know. I haven't heard anybody comment about that on the news yet, but I noticed it right away. I said, whoa, wait a minute. She's wearing blue. The only comment I had was on her shoes, um, which was (laughs) a shot, uh, which I talked to a couple of people about, and they go, didn't the finance minister who was, you know, most often a man buy new shoes? Oh, yeah, that was like top news story. His new budget shoes. You would see the new shoes that he bought to announce the budget, and they were like usually a pair of Dax or something along those lines, and it was a big news story, but nobody ever got their nose bent out of shape about it. Mm -hmm. But a few people tried to get bent out of shape about Christian Phelan's shoes and for her new budget. And somebody said, they're from Aldo and they probably cost less than $200. Settle mm-hmm. down. Yeah, really? Huh. Now, the day started with good news for the government. After a gain of 330, sorry, let's try that again, 330,000 jobs in February, which knocked the unemployment rate down a full percentage point from 65 to 5.5%. Numbers for March showed a further gain of 72 to 73,000 jobs, a 3.4% year-over-year wage growth, and a not-seen-since-1976 unemployment rate low of 5.3%. If you include the people who sort of taken themselves out of the game, that's about 7.2%. Statistics Canada estimates it to be. So people who have just like possibly retired along with uh, people who are no longer seeking work or going back for retraining? Is, is that what, how that number breaks down? Not so much retired, but people who, people who would like to work but haven't gone looking for one or don't think they can find one. They've just pulled themselves out. They think that there's nothing out there for them. So, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. So employable uh, people who are not looking, so they don't consider themselves on the job market. Right. Economists say that the economy has completely rebounded from the COVID interruption. There you go. The additional revenue from income taxes to the government, uh, from the additional employment, uh, and the higher wages, combined with rising tax revenue due to inflation and price increases due to supply chain issues, has put the federal government in a better than expected position and has been the case for all the premiers who have all recently announced their budgets too, right? So you can often hear the criticism, oh, well, you know, you know, the federal government did this or did that and, you know, try to have some sneaky underhanded thing. But this was all the premiers benefited hmm. from the windfall. Like, there's people, there are more people employed in all the provinces. There are people on higher wages in all the provinces and in all the provinces where there is oil, they are making more money. So, so it's, this is, everybody's getting the same treatment here. <laughs> in December, the fiscal monitor had projected that the deficit for fiscal 2021-22 would be $144 billion. These windfalls pared that down over $30 billion to $113.8 billion. So the deficit came in about $30 billion less than expected just four months ago. Mm -hmm. Interesting. eh? (laughs) Interesting. eh? Yes. And we suddenly have, okay, well, well, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just, so you got uh, Skippy the Wonder Pigeon saying that the sky is falling financially and that we're giving up freedoms. Don't even get me started on that little, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but (laughs) so we're also going to have balancing his budget. Well, we're going to have dental care, uh, child care. I'm not sure what the pharmacare thing is working out to, but a $30 
billion dollars less than they predicted. So yeah, I think things are moving in the right direction. Yeah, they are. Uh, given there'll be much less reason, we hope, for pandemic support spending next year, the deficit is expected to drop by more than half to just under $53 billion in fiscal 2022-23, and projections are for $39.9 billion in 23-24, just under $27.8 billion in 24-25, which brings us to the next election. Then if re-elected, $18.6 billion in 25-26, and finally $8.4 billion in 26-27, which according to economists, given the size of our economy and our budget, is essentially a rounding error. Canada has the lowest debt-to-GDP ratio and deficit among our G7 peers. And even when it comes to new spending, the government is being responsible. The government has about $85.8 billion more in fiscal room given the sunnier economic outlook but it is not blowing at all. So all throughout the, the lead-in to the, the budget, how they always said that they were going to spend us and spend us and spend us, and especially now that the NDP has joined, it's going to be even more. Well, turns out that they didn't even spend all of the gain. That's, uh, <laughs> got. that's good because if the, it starts raining. Yep. So some... Right? It's, it's just, it's fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. The editorial in the Ottawa Citizen, a post-media publication, so that you can put it in the context, stated, Christian Freeland appears fully conscious that runaway spending is not a viable long-term strategy. The federal deficit is projected at $52.8 billion for 2022-2023. That's not exactly a badge of honor, but it's a turn in the right direction. There is, of course, no chatter about to balance the budget in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Now, that's probably a smart idea, considering that we don't know what the future waves of COVID might bring, nor the war. And it would be very politically silly to claim today that we would have had a balanced budget in five years when world events could more likely in the coming years than in the past or recent past require us to have to inject a massive amount of money into the economy. Also, climate change disasters may do that. To claim you're aiming for a balanced budget now only to have to upend it in maybe within the next 12 months is not a good political setup. And thus to opt for discourse on prudence rather than balanced budgets was wise. Program spending for the coming fiscal year is down from $473 billion to $425 billion. And that's mostly due to reduced pandemic spending. $30 billion is net new spending over five years. So they had $30 million, $30 billion windfall this year, mm-hmm. and they're spending $30 billion, but over five years, not in one year. Right. right. They're being responsible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are also going to be some cuts coming. There's going to be a spending review to reduce the space and scale of spending by about $3 billion over four years. And there will also be a strategic policy review expected to save $6 billion over the same period. So where does that come from is what I'm worried about. Is this going to be an austerity type budget? I'm, I'm concerned about that. I don't think it's austerity type budget. I think the, what they're going to be looking at is, you know, as, as in everything, you know, after like six, seven, eight, ten 10 years, you know, you need to go back and look at what you're not doing anymore, what, mm-hmm. you know, what's not serving anything and just, you know, cut off the superfluous, you know, the superfluous stuff, especially since government's a big machine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be like a, a whole of government, uh, like in the Harper days, or even when Paul Martin was looking to, to make big slashes. Just uh, the th- three and $6 billion are over four years are very, very, very it, modest it, amounts. You're right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a bucket load of money to me. Yes. Uh, right. 
but for Canada, not, not, yeah. no, no. In a $360 billion budget, yeah. 9 billion is not, and over four years, mm-hmm. right? So six, $360 billion budgets times four, right. $9 billion. So, so we're looking yeah. at, you know, over a trillion, yeah, <laughs> trillion plus. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, you know, the normal upkeep that you should do, you know, it's like, oh yeah, we're not, we don't need to do this anymore. Why are we still doing it? Right. <laughs> um, revenues. So there will be some cuts, but there will also be uh, plans to gain extra revenue. So there will be some tax, some tax increases, some small ones. Revenues will increase with a one-time 15% windfall tax on banks and insurance companies on income over $1 billion for 2021. Uh, this has the conservatives screaming. This has the bankers screaming. Oh my God, it's not going to make us competitive. It's like, um, you're in Canada. It's a charter system with six banks and no international competition can come in. How much more protection from competition do you want? dudes? I mean, seriously, (laughs) like we won't be competitive against each other. (laughs) It's called a level playing field, man. (laughs) Man, come on. Well, what if there's no other banks in Canada? that aren't Canadian. They're only yeah. Canadian. There's no competition from outside. Yeah. And Bergen was all over them. Like, Oh my God, they're raising taxes. Yeah. On banks and insurance companies on income over $1 billion for one year only. Yeah. Settle down. down. Can't. <laughs> like Taylor Swift was like, you need to calm down. <laughs> and the corporate tax rate is going to be increased from 15 to 16.5%, which should raise $6 billion over five years. So it's a 1.5% corporate, tra- corporate tax rate increase. Yeah, that one is permanent, and then the bank one is just one year for the for the for right. last year. It, I mean, they, they really. I saw the RBC got their knickers in a knot over that, and I'm like, oh, settle down. It's for one year. One year, come on. One year, and Jeez. you know what? It's a damn. It's about damn time. It's about yeah. damn time. Yeah, and though it is not in this budget, as per the agreement. Uh, they are looking at a minimum tax for wealthy earners. That's not to the agreement with the NDP, but the agreement with the other G7 peers in October of 2021, right. when they, Joe Biden and everybody decided that they were going to do that. Um, so that's still coming down the road once all the, all the, not G7, G20 actually, G20 nations agree right. on that, how they do that. Uh, judging by the spending, the government's main priorities are housing, climate change and climate adaptation, reconciliation and support for indigenous communities and defense. Uh, these uh, got like between eight and $12 billion of funding. So these are the four big ticket items on housing. The prime minister stated that he has a three pronged approach. The first is helping people save to buy a home. The second is focusing on housing supply to make sure we're creating more homes across the country. And the third is putting an end to speculation that is driving up housing prices unnecessarily. As such, $10.1 billion over five years has been earmarked for housing to double the number of homes being built over that period to 100,000 units. We do recognize that there is an affordability challenge right now, but the most fundamental fact is our population is growing faster than our supply of housing. And that's a comment that we've made often, particularly when we're talking about bringing in more immigrants, right? Mm-hmm. We want the immigrants, but they need a place to live. They gotta have, they, <laughs> we got to give them a roof over their head. I mean, come on. Yeah. So Minister Freeland had stated that, reminding us that there are no silver bullets here. And that the housing plan is very intentionally, overwhelmingly focused on supply side measures. 90% of the investment in housing is about to, driving and increasing housing supply. 
The government will also have funds to speed up repairs to update housing, as well as new construction. It will also double the first-time homebuyer's tax credit to $1,500 and ban home buying by foreign investors for two years. There will also be a rental construction financing initiative consisting of low-interest loans and mortgage insurance to build rental housing, and if the properties are both low-rent and energy-efficient, some of the loan will be written off. There is $4 billion over seven years for Indigenous housing specifically, and we will get to talk more about that soon with a future interview guest. Uh, we've managed to secure Dr. David Debaillet, and his uh, specialty is in particular Indigenous housing. So I'm hopefully be able to talk about housing in general, mm-hmm. but specifically Indigenous housing when we have him on. And uh, there's been recently a huge conference in Ottawa on that as well, and he attended it, so he's got notes from that for us too. Um, finally, the budget will create a first-time home buyers. Okay, now there's a lot of letters here. T F H S A. So I, <laughs> for people saving for down payment. Now it's the tax-free home savings account allows people to save up to eight thousand dollars per year as a down payment, up to a maximum of forty thousand. This new plan gives you the benefit of the tax deduction on the RSP and then the tax-free withdrawal of the TFSA. So you're really getting the best of both worlds. But if you don't have the money, this plan does nothing for you. Said CIBC tax expert, J.B. Gollenbeck. Uh, Now, you know, I think we had talked about this before, and I always wondered how this was going to be different than the TFSA, because why not use the TFSA? Mm -hmm. And the TFSA, what you do is you pay your tax on the money that you've already put in, right? Right. You've already paid that tax, unlike the RSP, where you get the tax deduction when you make the deposit. Mm-hmm. But in the TFSA, when you take the money, all the money that you gain, like this, there's no tax on those. That's that. right. With this product, you get that when you take the money out, but you also get the benefit of the RSP when you put the money in, mm-hmm. the tax deduction in that year. So that's it's how it's an interesting in financial product for sure. Uh, yeah. One that uh, will never apply to me, but you know, hey, <laughs> it's good for those that can use it. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, you know, if you don't have the money, this plan does nothing for you as it says, you know, but mm-hmm. not every element in this plan is for everybody at every level, right? Not there supposed are to things for different levels. Right. But if you're at the part where you have like a little bit of money and you're starting to save for a down payment, for a house, this is a good vehicle to put it in. Oh yeah, and you can you can deposit up to forty thousand. I'm sure there's very few people that will be able to put eight thousand dollars per year for five years to get forty. Well, over but and above sure their TFSA, of, right? Because I'm yeah, sure they're still running their TFSA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you still have your five thousand for TFSA, but that's, that's six thousand. So, I'm, but I'm there's very few people that have fourteen thousand dollars in disposable cash that they're mm-hmm. every year. So, but if you even if you're only saving a thousand or two. Right. I mean, every job until, you know, adds to the pot and, you know, you get to contribute up to a maximum of 40,000. So you'll just be contributing longer. So should I start an OnlyFans? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> need an extra revenue stream, man. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, uh, you're reminding me of that, uh, that, you, there was a TV show once, I think, on Showtime, when I think it ran for one or two years, called Hung. Yes, it was. A, I liked the program very much, actually. It was a good show. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you made me think of that when you said. Big Donnie. Was a gym teacher or something? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, Mr. Grizzly, please, the next quote. 
These are all important ideas, but they are not likely to add up to enough to tackle the way in which home prices have left earnings behind. The government should have done more to reframe housing as places to live rather than investments. Affirmed Paul Kershaw, a UBC professor and founder of Generation Squeeze. While the budget is acknowledging there's a crisis, it is failing to recognize that our country is really addicted now to high and rising home values. You Rise- know, sorry, I, I don't mean to cut. I'm just. I want to jump in. Um, I, I completely agree with everything he just said that I read. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. I think he is correct. Um, no, and, and I'm going to backtrack it just a little bit. Do you remember mm-hmm. in the late seventies? Uh, there used to be a program when RRSPs, I think they first came around in the mid-70s, correct me if I'm wrong? Uh, I don't know about that, to be honest. I can't remember. Well, it, the first time I learned about them, okay, was in the late 70s. There was another program at the time that they shut down, I think, in 1979, if memory serves correctly, mm-hmm. called the RHOSP. Do you remember yeah. that? The registered, I don't remember that, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, Registered Home Ownership Savings Plan. Yes. And the reason they shut it down was because it was a tax shelter. Um, and it, it was very good for somebody who was trying to go out and purchase their first home or purchase a home, whichever the case may be. Or maybe, you know, but what happened was kind of, it, it got out of control, kind of like what's happening with all these condos that we're seeing built in all the major metropolitan areas in Canada right now that um, who owns these places, right? And it's companies that are are buying them up left, right, and center and turning them into rental properties. There's a guy in Toronto right now who owns 30,000 houses across the United States. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. One, his company, and and they're buying up all these single-family homes and and multi-dwelling units and turning them into rental properties. It's creating feudalism. So when you start to see programs coming back into the fray, similar to the one that was canceled in the late 70s, to try and get people into housing, I think we're heading in the right direction. But as Mr. Paul Kershaw just said, we're not doing enough. And I completely Mm -hmm. agree with him. And that was my bit. Sorry, I just had to get that off my chest. Right. And to answer your questions, the RRSP was introduced in Canada in 1957. Oh, okay. Uh, it was the RHOSP that was introduced in 1974. Right. And by 79, they killed it, right? Something like that. I'm trying to see. Extinction, January, uh, no, January 1st, 1983 in Quebec and the 23rd of May, 1985 federally. Oh, wow. So it went on longer than I thought. For some reason, I thought it died in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I rem- yeah, I, I'd remembered uh, hearing about those things. Yeah. And it was because it was used, it was not being used uh, the way it was meant to be used. It was wealthy people using it to dodge taxes by ha- hiding their, you know, their yeah. money. It's like, wait, yeah, you already own four homes. Why are you buying another one? You don't qualify for this program, mm-hmm. which is all they really could have done, right? Yeah. And I think this one has provisions for that too. For example, mm-hmm. that if you don't ultimately use the money to buy a home, then you're going to get taxed uh, heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is suspected while all, like you say, all of this is true and there's, you know, and as Mr. Minister Freeland said, there's not a silver bullet here. So there was mm-hmm. nothing that would have been enough anyway in this. I don't think it was possible, right, uh, but right. rising interest rates are speculated 
to be that which will do the most or contribute the most to cooling down the housing market. The Bank of Canada has already raised its lending rate a quarter of a percent uh, not too long ago, mm-hmm. and it is widely believed that it will raise it again another half percent before the month of April is over. On climate change, $12 billion, the largest line item in the budget, is earmarked for the green transition. $2 billion of that is to expand zero-emission vehicle incentives. One out of five vehicles on the road should be electric by 2026, but the new program will be expanded to include larger vehicles such as vans, trucks, and SUVs. Vehicle transportation is the second highest portion of our GHG emissions total. And with what's going on in the United States, Joe, President Joe Biden seems very, very, very determined to give that tax credit for cars. So about the only way we could compete really is to give the equivalent tax credit Canadian dollars with a combination of federal and provincial. Well, and, and old Dougie's all, all of a sudden uh, all jacked up about electric batteries, you know, the battery plants and electric cars in Ontario, which... Oh was, yeah, he's all in now, eh? Where the hell did that come from? Because a few years ago, he ripped them all out and canceled the incentive program. The There was the, the what, $10,000 rebate? No, 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 we're getting rid of that. We're going to yep. freeze wages and we're getting rid of all these charging stations that you guys put in, which is stupid because they're in. Leave them be. They're not harming anybody. No, no, right. Dougie's got to rip them out. And now he's got to put him back. I broke it. Now vote for me to fix what I broke. <laughs> you know, I couldn't write this. I couldn't write. SNL or, or, or uh, this hour has 22 minutes. would be like, get the hell out of here with it. This is too ridiculous. Nobody's, this is too absurd. This is too absurd. Who would do that? Oh, the premier of Ontario. He actually did it. And yet here we are. <laughs> But there will be more to do as Canada will not have enough vehicle chargers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Or maybe even some suspect even enough electricity, period, to meet the future demand. We'll have to create other electro- electrical projects, either small nuclear reactors or, or something, because if everybody is, you know, if we're replacing oil with electricity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The electricity also has to come from clean sources, right? Well, and you have to point. remember the age of the grid, too. Uh, yeah. As experienced in La Belle Province and eastern Ontario and Kingston back in 1998. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. what was it, 60% of Quebec's grid was gone. Yep. They had yep. to rebuild it from scratch because when they designed the towers, they like when they built the system and, and they designed it, they said, well, we should bury these cables and that way they're safe. And they said... Well, that's really expensive to do. We can just put up these towers. Okay, but what's the most rainfall we've freezing rainfall we've ever had? This much. Okay, build it to that standard because it'll never go beyond that, right? <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> Oopsie poopsie. Yeah. Oopsie indeed. Um, $7.1 billion over the next eight years have been set aside for the carbon capture and storage investment tax credit. And that will cover up to 50% of some construction costs in building new facilities. About 20 to 40 projects are still in the development stage. We are pleased to see the tax credit come in. I know that much of the industry was hoping for a higher number, but I think this is actually an adequate start said Mike Blanke, president of Entropy, a company about to operate its first CCS facility in Alberta. Carbon capture and sequestration? Uh, yeah, sequestration or storage? I'm not sure which one they are. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, they're probably the same, though. 
technically. Some argue that the money could have been better spent on renewable energy. Some argue that we should be encouraging companies to not make emissions in the first place. Well, that's all very well and good, but given that we only have about three years, according to the latest UN reports that just came out, and there is no way that the science and technology, as well as the manufacturing to create all this stuff, is going to advance that much to make all of our activities net zero in three years, uh, we're going to need to capture some of this stuff. And if possible, we're going to need to suck some of it out of the air if we can. Well, you got to wonder, I mean, is is thorium or helium-3 a possibility? Uh, Do we start mining asteroids? Like... Is cold fusion, are we start going to start pouring more research money into that? Because let's face it, both our very old electrical grid and, and the systems that power them and, and, and the, the materials we use to create that energy, if we're getting rid of oil for that purpose, we've already gotten rid of coal in the province of Ontario. Mm-hmm. And if we dump oil for the same reason, I mean, we're still going to, petroleum is not disappearing from our lives anytime soon. No. Even I mean, if we're not you burning it, so like it's still going to be plastics and public Exactly, plastic. exactly. Like if, if you wear a, a Gore-Tex jacket or if you have a computer in your house or a phone, I mean, there's plastics and there's petroleum products in all of that. So petroleum is going to be around for a very long time, but we diminish, the idea is to diminish uh, uh, burning and emitting poisonous aspects of it into our uh, atmosphere by limiting vehicles i mean the, the cyber truck as an example for a pickup right mm-hmm. they already have the suv in the falcon winged uh, model x from and i'm just citing tesla right now but they've also got their semi-production their tractor trailer and those tractors are going to be fully autonomous in just a couple of years which makes one wonder what's going to happen to the freedom convoy people when they can't drive anymore Mm. And have to learn a new skill. You like how I circled around? Yeah, that was not bad, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was deft. <laughs> and uh, also, I don't know about you, Mr. Grizzly, but I'm old enough to remember when Stephen Harper was touting CCS as the solution to everything, oh, yeah. and that was well over ten years ago. So basically, back then, he was BSing us because if 20 to 40 projects are still in the development stage now, in 2022, then the concept of CCS must have been just a gleam in someone's eye when Harper was touting it as the at-hand solution that could be achieved right now, over a decade ago. Interesting. (sighs) I can't stand that man. (laughs) Given the release of a major UN report on the environment warning that we have three years to make big changes, the most difficult and controversial decision to make was undoubtedly the approval of the Beijing oil project in Newfoundland. Environment Minister Stephen Guibault had twice delayed making the decision. Of course, there was no way he could have made any other decision for the simple fact alone that this project is expected to generate billions of dollars in royalties and thousands of jobs for Newfoundland and Labrador, a province that's suffering economically and it needs something. Anything. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 
than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-host Roland Tanner and I tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. So they're not going to let that go. Liberal uh, Newfoundland and Labrador Premier Andrew Fury did lend a hand in trying to abate the criticism by announcing that a ban on wind farms that had been in place in Newfoundland and Labrador since 2007 is now lifted for the first time in 15 years. Why they would have ever had put a ban on that in the first place, I do not know. I, I, I missed totally that that happened. I had learned today when they lifted that there ever was a ban. Well, it's news to me. Yeah. And I don't understand it because, uh, you know, uh, there's places in Newfoundland that get wind all the time, kind of like Wolf Island in Kingston. Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. there are, what, 50, 60 windmills? Yeah. And, and the reason they're there is because that area, well, traditionally speaking, going a little off topic here, Kingston is known as one of the greatest places on earth to learn how to sail. Yes. Because there's prevailing winds there all yep. the time. That's the why Olympic it was... The Olympic Games here for sailing. Oh, yeah. That's, the, that's why they held the Olympic Games there, right? Because it's one of the best spots on earth, literally, to harness the wind. So you can harness it in a sail and get your boat moving, or you can put up some windmills and create tons of energy. Isn't all of Wolf Island powered by wind now? That's quite possible, yeah. Because there's, there's, it's a small population that actually yes. lives on the island. Yes, yes. You know, yep. so I, I, I with place. the amount of the amount of windmills there, I'm sure it could be easily um, powering that entire island and then some. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Bay du Nord will produce until 2058, so about 30 years, close to 200,000 barrels of oil per day when it begins operating in 2028. The Norwegian company behind the project says that the technology being used will produce far fewer emissions per barrel, so lower carbon intensity, than other offshore oil projects as it is a lighter type of crude, which means it leads to lower emissions during refining and will burn more cleanly than heavy crudes. Way to go, yeah. Norway. It's still crude. I know. <laughs> right? But still. Each barrel of oil from this project will be five times less carbon intensive than oil drawn from the Alberta oil sands. It is expected that this would be the first oil project in Canada that would be required to cut carbon emissions to net zero by 2050 or capture any emissions that remain at that time. Interesting. Yeah. The Bloc Québécois Yves-François Blanchet criticized the deal, but unfortunately, he overreached and sounded silly. This project kills once and for all any possibility for the planet to contain climate change under 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah, that's laying on a little bit thick there. He's basically claiming that this is the project that will push us over the edge. This, this is the project that will do the world in. And of course, as always, it's all Justin Trudeau's fault. Yeah, that, that's the tipping point, 200,000 barrels a day. How much do they pull out of some of the fracking projects in different parts of uh, the United States of America? Half a million? 
two million? You know, I, I don't understand. You can make the point that it's not the best decision for the environment without saying that this is the one project that will kill us all. Like, especially when you have a Norwegian yeah. company that's doing it. So they're going to do it with the environment in mind. Yes. Right? Yes. $15 billion over five years has been, uh, is going to be set aside. Uh, and hopefully the federal government will be able to leverage it on a one to three basis to raise another $45 billion within something called the Canada Growth Fund. And that will be used to reduce emissions, diversify the economy uh, to exports and uh, low carbon industries, and to support the restructuring of the current supply chains. So is that similar to the, um, the investment fund they have in Norway, which they, the Norwegians got the idea from Alberta, the Heritage mm. Fund in Alberta, that they put money into it and then just stopped no. putting money into it that's a sovereign wealth fund this right. will be similar to the infrastructure bank oh, okay, uh, they okay. did where they put in a certain amount of money and they say okay we've got this money private sector other sectors what will you put in hopefully raise three three to one and then finance projects and that was a harper uh, um, initiative too. the infrastructure bank was it not uh, i think so i think it was i think it was uh, and then the liberal government i think they had an asian infrastructure bank that they they tried and but the, these programs had a difficulty getting off the ground mm -hmm. i think the, the 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 infrastructure bank is starting now to finally deliver i'm and sure findev is involved with it somehow who findev mm, possibly yes yes um $3.8 billion over eight years has been set aside to implement a critical mineral strategy. It's basically an investment in Canada's mining sector to extract the key minerals required for batteries and other electronic components for zero emission vehicles. So things like lithium, cobalt, uh, manganese, uh, nickel, uh, those, uh, those metals. Um, and uh, the objective is to build a net zero economy by 2050. And to do that, uh, we're going to need about 125 to $150 billion in capital per year in clean tech, when right now we're averaging about 15 to $25 billion. We got a little ways to go there. Yeah. So that's why they're hoping that these, these banks and stuff like that will do that. Um, the critique is, of course, is how fast can these be built? Because the infrastructure agency took forever to get off the ground, so that they're using that as the marker. And uh, to add to that, there's also going to be a Canadian Innovation and Investment Agency to address the fact that Canada currently ranks last in the G7 in research and development spending by businesses. Well, I'm happy to hear that because um, traditionally speaking, we used to be one of the best at spending money on R&D projects. Uh, case in point, uh, um, Oh, Montreal Road here in Ottawa, uh, National Research Council. Wow. SNRC. Yes. <laughs> I lost my, lost my train of thought there for a sec. Uh, NRC is, is uh, world-renowned for the work it does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. A lot of the, the pure science stuff is being funded by the federal government, and not a lot of it is being done by business. Very little is done by business. They take the research that we funded and then run with it. Yeah. So should so, we get shares in all those companies? No, we don't. And that's one of the one thing I don't understand either. It's like, why aren't you like, you know, it's like if you funded the research federal government, why aren't you taking a 5% equity stake on the patents? They should be <laughs> taking a, taking a small equity, equity stake from them saying, look, we did the R and D. Okay. The country owns this. We're going to get a piece of this action and we're going to put it right back into the country. Yeah. 
I mean, especially since the federal government was going to be needing more sources, sources of revenue that don't come from other people's employment, mm-hmm. right? Um, there's only so much income you can tax. <laughs> um, the investment agency will proactively work with new and established Canadian industries and businesses to help them make the investments they need to innovate, grow, create jobs, and be competitive in changing the global economy. It proposes $1 billion over five years, starting in 2022-2023, to support its initial operations. $11 billion, the second biggest line item in the budget, is set aside for reconciliation and support for Indigenous communities. The Assembly of First Nations claims that it would take 10 times the $4 billion set aside for housing, given the immensity of the infrastructure gap. But they say it's a good start. There is also $4 billion from the settlements reached in January to get public services in a timely manner to First Nations, Inuit, and Métis children. The human Canadian Human Rights Tribunal uh, case, uh, the four billion, so the money is, is there for that as well. Um, there's also $200 uh, plus, a little more than $200 million uh, reserved for burial searches uh, on, you know, where there were residential schools, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Métis National Council President Cassidy Caron is happy to see that money in the budget. The ITK President, Nathan Obed, says that the budget is missing funding to eliminate tuberculosis in Inuit homelands, and there was a previously stated goal to accomplish this by 2030. Um, we should be able to do that right now. You'd think, right? I don't know why, but I, I, I mean, I know that's vast and disparate and, you know, and that people are hard to reach and you got to do extra work, but eight years seems like long. It seems excessively long. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, among the big items, the government announced a defense policy review, the conclusions of which will inform how $8 billion over five years in new funding earmarked for future continental defense investments in NATO and NORAD will be spent. The federal government is still in talk with United States and NATO partners on what the projects will be, so there are not any specifics, but the money has been set aside. There is no specific commitment to cover equipment shortfalls within the Canadian military, but I'd be surprised if zero of those first $6 billion will be spent on such things once both defense policy review and decisions with the U.S. and NATO are made. We're going to have to buy equipment whatnot, and it's still going to be our soldiers that will be operating it. So yeah. I'm sure there'll be an opportunity to do two birds with one stone on those. Um, There are no dollars specifically earmarked also for Canadian Rangers in the North as requested by the three territorial premiers. But again, I suspect that that might be part of the policy review and it would get funded after. And those Rangers are are, um, brilliant. Yes, they are because they, they work in really tough conditions. Mm -hmm. I had a few buddies who were, who were Rangers uh, for a couple of years and and they told me, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough going because you go out on patrol in, well, winter in the Northwest Territories or in Nunavut can get a little chilly. So you have to be well equipped. Um, and, and they, they cannot go up there with, you know, like, uh, World War One rifles. They need modern equipment because if, uh, polar bear comes onto their encampment, they gotta, they want to frighten it off. They don't want to kill it. Right. Yeah. They want to frighten it off, but oftentimes, you know, yeah. Um, on the issue of cybersecurity, $875 million over five years has been set aside to address cyber threats. 
And in the most overtly political moment of the budget presentation, $1 billion in new loan resources were earmarked to stabilize the payroll and economic integrity of Ukraine, and $500 million was earmarked for lethal and non-lethal aid to Ukraine. From the first day we started working on this budget, this growth agenda was always going to be our focus. And then Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. The world we woke up to on February 24th was different from the one that existed when we turned off the lights the night before. When Putin opened fire on the people of Ukraine, he also turned his guns on the unprecedented period of prosperity that the world's democracies have worked so diligently to build over more than 76 years. Our rules-based international order, born from the ashes of the Second World War, today confronts the greatest threat since its inception. And so, our response was swift and strong. Canada and our allies imposed the toughest sanctions ever inflicted on a major economy. Russia has become an economic pariah. But Putin's assault has been so vicious that we all now understand that our world's democracies, including our own, can be safe only if the Russian tyrant and his criminal armies are entirely vanquished. And that is what we are counting on the brave people of Ukraine to do, because they are fighting our fight, a fight for democracy. It is in our urgent national interest to ensure that they have the missiles and the money they need to win. And that is what this budget provides. And to that section, there were several ovations from everyone in the House, even including the conservatives. How do you, how do you, how do you say otherwise, right? Right. I, but, this, but what's interesting to this, about this to me, is I remember, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but it's not very long when President Joe Biden did that speech and ended it by saying, God, that man cannot remain in power. And mm -hmm. everybody started losing their minds, right? It's like, oh my God, are you calling for regime change? Are you calling for regime change? Well, and then, you know, we found out what happened in Bucha. Mm-hmm. Nobody's wringing their hands nope. about Joe Biden having said <laughs> said that now, right? And Christian Freeland is backing them up here. Well, I mean, it's... Um... But this is like, the world's democracies, including our own, can be safe only if the Russian tyrant and his criminal armies are entirely vanquished. That is not an ambiguous statement. Not at all. There's nothing left to be uh, assumed or, 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 no, it's basically, basically we're going to wipe them from the face of the earth, period. Yep. She means business. <clears throat> do not mess around with Christian Freeland. You do so at your own peril. Yes. Um, the agreement with the NDP. There is about $15 billion of spending arising from that deal. The NDP will certainly be happy about the windfall tax, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> They've been calling for that. Pharmacare was not included in this particular budget. The Liberals plan to pass a Canada Pharmacare Act by the end of 2023, as was the deal with the New Democrats. Right. So this is a sign that this deal will last. Well, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time to get that figured out, right? Mm -hmm. And they're also going to do a similar thing for childcare. They're going to enshrine it in legislation as well, Fantastic. which was not the plan originally. So that's good. The budget reflects the priorities that we laid out and the agreement that we have, and so we honor that agreement. And it has really important things that are going to make a big difference in people's lives. Said statesman Jagmeet. 
Then partisan Jagmeet showed up to claim all the credit, saying these were concrete steps that would not have been there but for the fact that we forced the government to deliver and we used our power to get people this help. We still have critiques and criticism. Oh, Oh, Jagmeet, why did you have to go back to being your old self? You could have marketed marketed this as cooperation rather than taking full credit. What a whiff on a slow pitch right up the middle of the plate. I understand that you're trying to make the distinction that you are not just one fused party. You're you're not you're not the Borg, and you haven't been assimilated. But mm. this is not the way you do it, and this was not the time. Not the time. Ah, so close. Almost, almost hit the home run there. Third, I'm going to give him a triple. Yeah, stand up triple. Does he does have to try to make the distinction? It was just that was just clumsy. Well, I guess old habits die hard, right? Old habits die hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, as agreed, the 5.3 billion dollars over five years dental care plan was there. The NDP's demands on dental care and housing are in the budget but they are overshadowed by a spending plan that is relatively prudent and responsible. In previous budgets, the Liberals have taken their windfall and spent a lot, but in these uncertain times, Christian Freeland has opted for caution. It may well be that the political stability offered by the NDP deal has given the Liberals the latitude to turn to long-term economic issues that they have neglected up to this point. Surprisingly stated, wait for it, John Iveson. In an utter reversal of his prediction of the earlier morning, I was listening to him on like, CPAC. I was like, this is going to be tax the pen. This is going to be all that like this. Credit to Iveson. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to maintain his line. And no, no relation to my friend Marianne Iveson either way, by the way. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> well, she likes to, likes to put that out there because her podcast yeah. is starting to get some play. So, <laughs> But that's, that's a surprising move. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because normally they go out and then they say, oh, well, I said it. So they go to the wall defending it. And he didn't. So, oh, he did. you know, well, you know, he's an interesting journalist. I don't like, yeah. You know. And I say that because sometimes. When he's I'll, right, he's right. But, yeah. And, 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 and he, can, he can really get things correct a lot of times. And I've read some of, and I'm like, he's absolutely. And then the next column will be like, what? What the hell movie did you watch? Yes. Who are you and what did you do to the guy who wrote the column to the guy who wrote the column yesterday? Like, is he Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Like, holy crap, dude. You, you, you were way you knocked it right down the middle of the fairway yesterday and today, oh man, you shanked that son of a gun. That's that 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 hit a car on the highway, you shanked that so hard. Like I don't um uh, uh, I know, I know, I know. I, d- 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 he's not consistent, but no. when he's on, he's on. <laughs> well, and, and I, I got to be respectful on that. When you're right, he, when he's on, he's on. And, and yeah. the fact that he walked that back yeah. is impressive, right? Because right. what, normally what I do when these types of things come on, right, I actually listen to the budget discussion it's uh, the budget presentation itself and then i form my own opinions mm-hmm. and then i start listening to budget discussion coverage uh well everything was screwy this week so on uh, we were recording an interview on thursday too so i was mm-hmm. preparing for that so i didn't listen to the budget on thursday so i actually listened to the news reports then i listened to some commentary but the, the news reports and from the news reports i got a sense but i didn't actually hear her say anything yet uh other than clips and then i listened to the commentary and i thought okay you know that's what's going on and then i listened so this time i did it in reverse 
but the conclusions that I had, as soon as I, you know, I heard Candace Bergen speaking and saying something and I said, what? And then I said, that can't be, and, and we're going to get to it. But, uh, you know, and uh, anyway, it's, it's in the text. So I'll get there, but it's, it's just when, John Iverson said that. I'm sitting there and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Huh? John Iverson's agreeing with me? Like, uh, we have the same take? Like, that rarely happens. Broken clock, right? <laughs> it rarely happens. Uh, so, uh, we were all told that there would be no surprises in the budget. And there were indeed no surprises. And that, for some reason, <laughs> seemed to catch everyone by surprise. <laughs> okay, this is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. Oh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. This is exactly what I did. What? <laughs> Why did you do that? You ruined our whole next two weeks of narrative. <laughs> you said battle. you were going to do it, and then you did it. Why did you do that? Why, why did you do that? Why? Plan for that? <laughs> In the battle of tone versus countertone, the liberals win this one. Ever since the announcement of the confidence and supply agreement, the conservatives have been running around with their hair on fire, claiming that now we have an NDP government and they've been giving the NDP top billing and the NDP livable government as they've rebranded it, and which I believe is a huge public relations mistake on their part. And even being on the record as saying that Jugmeet Singh is is now running things while still trying to blame Justin Trudeau for everything. So it's an NDP government, it's an NDP budget, it's an NDP liberal government, and Jagmeet Singh's in charge, but it's all damn you, Trudeau! <laughs> like, who, who the hell is running that party? Oh, she's a mess, that one. Uh, it's, well, it seems that Justin and Jagmeet saw them coming and threw them a curveball by being somewhat restrained. So, what did Sheets Bergen have to say? It is an irresponsible budget. It's a classic NDP tax and spend budget. Oh my God, could this human bunt cake come up with something less original to freaking say? I think that's what the stock answer that the conservatives say for everything. Everything. We are everything. seeing an NDP budget delivered by an NDP liberal government. Justin Trudeau is basically taking money that has, he's been collecting from Canadians who are suffering because of inflation, and he's using it to pay for the promises he made the NDP. And in turn, they're going to prop them up. Oh my God, she's so stupid. evil, doesn't she, eh? <laughs> So that's her that's her superpower she could make you know, you could be bring you could be like little red whiting hood running through the forest bringing jam to grandma and she'd find a way to make that terrible <laughs> that's like well, girl big bad wolf shows up you know what the little red riding hood knocks on grandma's door the door opens and it's the big bad wolf and he says little red riding hood Anyway, there's a joke there, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I have one too, but I'm also not. Yeah, we're not going to know. They get rather, they're rather um, vulgar. Uh, body, <laughs> body humor. <laughs> Definitely, uh, Candace, girl, you need to put a cork on it, and you really need to get off the cross, right? In case you missed it, there are supply issues, and people need the hammer, nails, and wood. Um, though Birkin says that it is an irresponsible budget, former parliamentary budget officer Kevin Page says we're getting deficits down, almost close to balance in five years. Cautioning that the situation in Russia could affect everything. Which, completely understandable. Yes. We are on the edge of World War III. And as I've said before on this program, 
we're not shooting any guns right now. But don't kid yourself, that war affects everyone on Earth. And we're in it. And we're in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, of course, the conservatives in the election proposed to spend just as much money, but because they were going to spend it on conservative priorities, well, those dollars magically would be from some other source than from Canadians who are suffering because of inflation, right? Holy fork, sister. You might as well have just said nothing. Again, her message is a mess. She calls it an NDP budget, but gives the NDP the top billing, blames Trudeau, and and then she just goes into really saying anything. But now we're beginning to see just how irrelevant the conservatives have become. Right? The entire Canadian budget is several hundreds of billions of dollars, and this is the only thing that she can point to and say about it. It's freaking lazy. And the laziness was noted. And for Candace Bergen, I will say, it seems like she did not read the budget before she came out to talk to Canadians about it. The criticisms, criticisms were not even factually correct in saying that all the inflation money that brought in additional revenues was already spent. That was just not true. Mm-hmm. Stated Althea Raj. We are not getting value for money from this party, Canada. I guess, notice how I flipped that when Pierre Proliet asked for value for money for a settlement? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not getting value for money for this party. When you consider the cost of running parliament, electricity, water, heat, photocopying, paper, the salaries and benefits of all the staff that work to keep the House of Commons going, the salaries and benefits of all the conservative MPs in the House, the political donation, tax donation tax credits, we are not getting value. We pay a lot of money to keep the Conservative Party of Canada operating, and we get no value. Zero. 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 And if you've got to remember, like, I, you know I don't support that party because they're not progressive, right? They're right. reformicons. They're Christo-fascist reformicons yep. in my mind. Yep. If you feel differently, that's fine. But not. We're not, <laughs> that, we pay for that. We pay for that. We pay for the abuse. I hate it. We're literally paying to be abused. Yeah. Yes. If the Conservative Party of Canada were a stock, it would be Nortel after the tech bubble burst. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This party is a terrible investment of your energy, money, and time. About the only thing the Ice Queen liked about the budget was the defense spending, which tracks because, of course, conservatives would prefer that we spend money on stuff, especially stuff that goes boom rather than people. But then again, she claimed that the money will probably never really get spent. So, right. And she's probably not happy about the housing money for indigenous people either. Well, because, well, they hate them. (laughs) And I won't make the obvious red note joke speculating about why they probably don't care about the dental program. Because that would be punching down on the voters. But given how little little they think of fellow Canadians, it wouldn't surprise me that when the doors are closed in caucus, that they trash their own voters as much as they trash the Liberals. Because, you know, they're awful human beings. I can... uh, I can attest to that. Mm -hmm. Her whole shtick is, do we trust the federal government to start these programs that she claims she supports? without supporting any mechanism that would feasibly allow them to come into being. She actually said something like, I think that the designing a national pharmacare dental program should have been left to the provinces. 
I'm not sure how a province designs a national program, but (laughs) she's a mess. She is a mess. She doesn't know how any of this works. No. So she says she supports the thing, but she doesn't support any mechanism that would feasibly allow them to come into being. She wants to give it to the wrong level of government to do something. And she doesn't want to, she doesn't support them. I mean, I'm going to borrow one of my own lines here. Do you know anything about civics? It's like, it's if, if you're saying I'm hungry and so I say, well, okay, make something. Well, I don't want to really want to cook. Well, then order something out. Uh, it costs too expensive. But <laughs> then you do, you're not hungry enough, are you? Because <laughs> if you were hungry enough, you'd probably be eating cardboard, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, so it's like she doesn't, she says she supports them, but she doesn't really support them. But she doesn't want to face any consequences for saying she doesn't support them. So she lies. She's really not that bright, is she? As would a child. She lies like a child. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Candace, did you paint the wall? Did you use crayons on the walls? No, it wasn't me. No, as she's like eating one. Yeah. (laughs) It's like. (laughs) Where did you get that lipstick? It's my lipstick. I got it from Home Depot. (laughs) Jeez. Well, I mean, she's asking us. (laughs) I mean, we certainly trust the NDP and the liberals more than we trust conservatives to bring in a dental or primary care program, don't we? (laughs) <laughs> and, and since in our politics she's the compared, fifth dentist right yeah she's she's the dentist that does the, yeah that does not recommend, recommend trident yeah, every yeah. meal yes four out of five <laughs> dentists recommend trident for those who chew gum she's the fifth <laughs> dentist no man eat all the sugar eat all the sugar so you'll keep coming to me <laughs> hedgley she's, and weiss made with that, pure cane sugar She's the one that gives you a whole bag of lollipops rather than one when you're done. Are these sugar-free? No, no. 100% sugar. Crunchy bits of sugar. Oh, my God. Uh, And since in politics, one compares one's choices to the alternatives available to them and not the almighty, you know what? Trusting the NDP and liberals on pharmacare and dental care is enough. (laughs) Thank you. We certainly ain't gonna count on you, Candace, to get it done. Oh boy, sister, no, not at all. Uh, imagine the shamelessness and total lack of self-awareness it must take to be the lady who spent nineteen thousand dollars plus to move into store and away for a few months only, including again, I repeat, three thousand eight hundred for a mattress and five thousand two hundred for linens, and feeling like it is your place and business to comment on irresponsible budgeting. Look, <laughs> Just, I, I'm again. It's if there's if there's I'd love for somebody to just even you know what Michelle Rempel Garner walk up and just smack her in the face go what the hell is wrong with you slap her with a five dollar bill like <laughs> just <laughs> and you know I'm no fan of Michelle Rempel Garner but every now and then <sighs> you know she she's she's on the right side of history on a lot of things right of things. Yes. she is so and I'll give her that respect and, and you know but yeah like. <laughs> Every now and then they just need to dip in the pool to play the game, right? And it's just like, why are you doing that? Well, smart woman, don't do that. She's no fan of Candace, though. No, no, no. Well, no. I mean, (laughs) hence, hence why she's back. She's right. Patrick Brown. Campaign of Patrick Brown. Yeah. Uh, Guy, boo boo kitty, please go run an ultra marathon off the world's world's shortest pier. I just, I can't stand her. Oh my God, please vote somebody in so it's not her anymore. Somebody with a brain. There's got to be some smart person in the current conservative party that's not a blithering idiot. 
I don't like to insult another human being's intelligence. It's not who I am, but I mean, come on. She is the dumbest person on the hill. <sighs> uh, well, no. Unfortunately, she's got competition from that woman who magically developed three more children overnight. Oh, right. Michelle uh, uh, oh, yeah. Ferrari or something yeah, like that, yeah, whatever her name is. Yeah. Anyway, and then and then there's Rachel Thomas who had to like look up the definition of a dictator and then like read it and then said, yeah, that sounds like Trudeau. That totally tracks. You That's exactly what it is. The guy we elected democratically is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I see no difference between Assad and Trudeau. None. They were all That's homeschooled, what? right? These are all religious zealot homeschooled individuals. Not that there's anything wrong with homeschooling. I'm not saying that there is. I'm saying that they have clearly lacking in, in, in common knowledge of what a dictator is and how government works. Also basic social skills. Well, basic there's that too. Skills. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, if this is an NDP budget, you could have fooled me. <laughs> Given the $8 billion for defense, mm. money for an oil project off the coast of Newfoundland, thus sending a signal to Alberta also that the Canadian government is not against oil, yes. supply-side funding for housing, a TFSA-type program, a concept originated in Canada by Harper himself, mm-hmm. money for carbon capture and storage, which was Harper's environmental wet dream for years, mm-hmm. the solution this really <laughs> it's like where is this an ntp budget uh, and of all the people in the country like i said just john iverson basically said what was ex- widely expected to be an ndp budget turns out to be one that will appeal to many conservatives a conservative is saying that this budget will appeal to many conservatives a conservative that has no love for the liberals. Yes. Yes. Mr. Grizzly. The valiant talk, the catchy alliteration, the big spending in the name of beautiful economy for everyone that was supposed to come at the end of the pandemic. Those have been replaced in this year's budget by pervasive uncertainty, crisis after crisis, and a shortage of capital to confront the cascading challenges. Talk about catchy alliteration. The old pandemic mantra of we've got your back has become a focus on something far less sexy, retooling how the Canadian economy works so that we can weather several incoming storms hitting us all at once. Wrote Heather Schofield of the Toronto Star. And the talk about the catchy alliteration was our note, not hers, because, you know, capital to confront the cascading challenge. (laughs) Crisis after confront the cascading challenges. Yeah, Crisis after crisis. (laughs) There's a lot of in that. (laughs) The conservatives still haven't learned after, what, seven years now? Checking my watch. (laughs) (laughs) Going on it in October. Seven years. They still haven't learned that the prime minister doesn't play to stereotypes. Conservatives raised expectations for the worst. They so telegraphed what the reply would be that it was super simple for Messrs. Trudeau and Singh to leave Bergen looking as silly as did Michelle Redpole Garner when she said we wouldn't get vaccines until 2030. Or as silly as did Andrew Scheer when he demanded the PM's resignation on the very first day news of the SNC non-scandal surfaced. Constant overreach. Constant overreach that makes them look foolish mr grizzly i would look at both those and say neither of those are true the notion that this budget is some kind of ndp boogeyman budget is clearly not true at all and 
As Althea has said, it seems like Candace Bergen did not read that budget before responding to it. Nor do I buy the notion that Jagmeet Singh got the wins they were looking for. Stated Elamine Abdel Sorry, let me try that again. Elamine Abdel <laughs> Every now, it's like nine times out of ten, it just rolls off my tongue, mm-hmm. oddly enough. And it, then the tenth time, I trip over it for some reason. And I like this guy, so it always yeah, makes great. me really sad when I trip over his name. <laughs> so, uh, so much for all that talk that the liberals had totally abdicated the center. if people on the right are saying that this is a budget that the right could like. And so much for all that talk that they took a hard turn left since the agreement was announced. With this budget, many pundits are eating their predictions and prognostications. But the one I liked most was Bruce Anderson of Abacus Data describing the budget as probably the biggest miss to the better in a budget in his entire lifetime. (laughs) <laughs> compare and contrast with Jim Flaherty, who had the biggest miss by mm. <laughs> something like $70 billion or $50 billion or something. <sighs> I'd rather be, I'd rather miss by $50 billion and be 50 billion to the good. <laughs> yeah, it's just a decimal point in the wrong decimal point in the wrong place. It's, it's just, you know. And that's our take on the budget kits. <laughs> ah, well, lots, lots to say, lots to say, lots to say, and we we didn't even go into anything, right? Everything we just like picked the four major things for the major spending things. There was a whole bunch of all small little initiatives and things. If you look at the budget and open it, uh, you know you'll see there's tons of little things, little local projects or smaller projects or smaller initiatives. But these are the big, big line items that we gave you here. Well, and um, just to give you a bit of background, something that you and the listeners don't know is that for a number of years, I had to, uh, because of the position I had in my job at the time, and I'm not going to get into what it was, uh, but I was, I would sit in uh, with the entire um, uh, news pool. What do you got? Journal? Um, yeah. Yeah, the pool. Yeah. Yeah, press pool. Press pool. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. I would sit in with the entire press pool the day of the budget because I had Oh, to, in the lockdown? Oh, yeah. I was in the embargo for like wow. five years in a row. Um, so I got to know a lot of, uh, a lot of reporters and writers and, and met some interesting people and uh, had some interesting conversations. And, and they had their copy of the budget. So they were, you know, writing their stories all day long and they'd pour through it. And I don't know if any of the listeners have ever seen uh, the budget it's a big document. Yeah. It's like two, 300 pages on yeah. average. It's not, it's not, you know, a couple of line items on a spreadsheet. So when they say, I don't think Miss Bergen read this, of course she didn't. That's too much to, for her to read in one day. She didn't read, even read this executive summary. No, of course she, she didn't. didn't even hear. She didn't even hear the presentation. I guess. She just probably sat on her phone playing, I don't know, um, Fruit Ninja while she was waiting for her opportunity to come out and say her canned response. What? You, what candy Bergen doesn't play Candy Crush? Well, maybe that's the <laughs> other one. Candy Crush, I suppose that would be more fitting. <laughs> the only thing I could think of was Fruit Ninja at the time. Ninja, I like it. Uh, well, kids, that's the end of this episode of uh, I was going to say that you can read the podcast. This is a Beaver Bites. We hope you love listening to us because we love making this for you. If you really like this podcast, you can find us on Google, Spotify, Apple, Mixcloud, Stitcher, 
Player FM. Uh, you got any more, Mr. Grizzly? We're, we're, we're everywhere and we're at more places than we've ever been. The pod page. You got to remember the pod page, man. Pod page. Yes, you absolutely. Can, you can sign up uh, on the pod page and you can uh, leave your email there and you'll get updates when new shows are, are produced and online right away. Along with, um, we can start to put some, uh, some blog entries on there as well. Oh, we can? Oh, yes. There's, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, you go to um, podpage.com slash the true north eager beaver, put a hyphen between each of those words between the true north and eager beaver, and there you go. You'll get there. Uh, of course, retweets, shares, gentle corrections, constructive criticisms, compliments, requests, and positive reviews are always welcome. We also accept bribes to be on the show. I don't know what you would like this week, Mr. Grizzly. <laughs> Surprise us. And because we believe that some democracy is something you do, Veterinarians Without Borders Canada is working with Ukraine animal shelters and are asking whether you can step forward today to help feed and care for animals and shelters in Ukraine and those fleeing across the border. Your generous donation will help save animals in crisis and will provide the necessary relief for their carers who are desperately trying to source food and water while under fire and under threat of death. Your donation is deeply valued. To make a cash or check donation, please contact Veterinarians Without Borders or Veterinaires Sans Frontières Canada at 700 Industrial Avenue, Suite 420, Ottawa, Ontario, K1G, O, or I should say 0Y9. Or check out their Ukraine Animal Crisis Emergency Appeal at vetswithoutborders.ca. Thank you for providing them with some help and with some hope. And Veterinaires Sans Frontières, Veterinarians Without Borders, is a registered charity and your donation will generate a receipt for tax purpose. Slava Ukraini. And finally, if you really, 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 really like this podcast and wish to encourage us to do more, Send us money. We work for tips. Please feel free to buy a cup of chocolate, a cup of coffee for Mr. Grizzly here, or a mug of hot chocolate for me via our coffee page at ko-fi.com slash eagerbeaver, all in one word. That's ko-fi.com slash eagerbeaver, all in one word. From the Beaver Lodge, this is your eager beaver and Mr. Grizzly saying, until next time, dear kids. It can be a tough world out there, so be kind to and gentle with yourself, okay? And Mr. Grizzly, words of wisdom? Words of wisdom. Yeah. In these really uh, strange times that we're living in, check on uh, check on your people. Make mm. sure, you know, reach out, reach out to those that, uh, especially the ones that always seem to have their shit together, for want of a better term. They usually are the ones that are shouldering the biggest weight. So mm. reach out to a few friends that you haven't talked to in a while and ask them how they're doing. Ask them how they're really doing. Because, you know, two years of a global pandemic, economic uncertainty, although things are starting to turn around, but people have been through some rough times in the last couple of years. And with a looming world war on the horizon, check on your friends. Yep. That's good advice. The True North Eager Beaver podcast is an Eager Beaver, Mr. Grizzly collaboration. Research story and guest curation and copy written by The Eager Beaver. Recording, production, editing, and additional research by Mr. Grizzly. Music courtesy of Ben Sound Royalty Free Music. Once again, thank you to our founding sponsors, The Peppermaster, 
The Miss V Mysteries from Corvid Moon Publishing and CanadianTarot.com. And thank you to Pete Jarvis for our artwork. We'll talk to you soon, kids. Take care. Mellos Choir and Period Instruments, one of Canada's premium early music choirs, presents its latest online concert series, Sound Structures, Music and Architecture, West and East, 6th to 17th Centuries. Conducted by Holly Gwynne Timothy, Sound Structures is a trilogy of online programs starting with Origine Andalusier, 9th to 16th Centuries, available from April 4th to 14th, followed by Diaspora in Musica, 15th to 18th centuries from April 15th to 25th. The third part of the trilogy is a photographic tour narrated by Dr. Peter Kaufman, Associate Professor of Art and Architectural History at Carleton University, entitled Circum Mediterraneum, in which hybridity in architecture from the 6th to 17th centuries will be discussed. The tour will be online from April 30th to May 9th. The music selections are inspired by the photographic tour. All three elements of the trilogy are available for the price of $50 or $20 each. For tickets, please visit melos-earlymusic.org slash store. That's M-E-L-O-S hyphen E-A-R-L-Y-M-U-S-I-C dot org slash store. Happy listening. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.